5-2, right? <laughs> hey, everybody. Merry Christmas. My name is Dan Kent, although this time of year, sometimes I'm affectionately referred to as Danta. <clears throat> that joke has paid such great dividends. It's like 30 years I've been using that joke. I just love it. I just love it. Uh, well, I am not Greg Boyd, which uh, is strange because this is the first time in 27 years that Greg has not done the, the Christmas Eve service. Isn't that sad? He's totally bummed, and he wishes he could be here. Uh, and uh, I wish he could be here, too, because it's the only time during the year that you get to see Greg in a tie. <laughs> Usually he looks like a Metallica roadie, you know? <laughs> I actually wrote that down, Metallica Roadie, just so I remember that, because that's exactly what he looks like. Uh, I, I feel bad, too, because I was going to wear a tie just because Greg would have, and um, it turns out I don't have a tie. <laughs> I thought I had one, and I, I basically have, uh, you know, basically barn clothes, so, which is appropriate since we're talking about the nativity scene. So we'll have to go with that. Uh, we are talking about the, the nativity scene, and um, Greg called just yesterday, late yesterday, saying, look, I can't make it. And so normally I have about six weeks to prepare this, and I had about six hours for this. And so I am just running on eggnog and the Holy Spirit. So <laughs> let's, let's do this. <laughs> but we are talking about what probably a thousand other churches are talking about today. God with us. Jesus, baby Jesus, named Emmanuel, God with us. And all of these churches are talking about this because this is the most profound thing that has ever happened in the universe. And I want to talk a little bit about why it's so profound. And I want to invite you to think about the implications of this profound event on your own life uh, as well. Especially, this is, you know, it's so perfect. At the end of the year, you start to think about next year. I think that, that understanding God with us, the way that I think the Gospels teach it, has such profound impact on how we should live our lives. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. Uh, now, the first time I ever saw a nativity scene, and basically that's one of those things where you have the, the manger and the, the, you know, the little farm and the um, baby Jesus and the little feeding trough, and you've got the sheep and the cows and the wise men and Mary and Joseph, and, and it's usually like these little figurines. Now, the first time I, I saw that, it was at Grandma Gurton's house, and I didn't really understand it, but I know that presents were involved. <laughs> so I knew that there was something really good about this because I got presents, and so that's the best I could do in my little eight, ten-year-old theological mind. Um, but then at some point, I was really getting into Ranger Rick magazine. And I got into Ranger Rick magazine deep. Ranger Rick was like a, a, a magazine for kids. It was about animals. And man, I got really into this magazine, so much so that I did speak goat, all right? That's how much I got into Ranger Rick. And, and at some point, I saw this nativity scene, and it, it clicked, the reason why they make such a big deal out of this nativity scene is that you have cows and sheep and a donkey living with Mary and Joseph. And this is what I've been trying to tell my mom. We need more animals in the house, you know? Look at that. That's what this is about. And um, that was my first theological stab at the nativity scene. Uh, I have evolved somewhat since then, although I still like the idea of living with more animals in my life. Uh, but really, the profundity of the nativity scene and baby Jesus in the little feeding trough is that that little baby is God. Uh, that's, the, that's the claim of the Gospels, is that God became a person 
not just a person, but a vulnerable person. And, and the, the angel told Joseph to name him Emmanuel, to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah to do so, because that's what Isaiah knew that the people needed. We needed God to be with us. It just wasn't working without God. And, and when the Messiah came, it would actually be God with us. Uh, now, that's an idea that... Um, can get kind of complicated because there's a lot of different ways to abuse this idea of God with us. And so I want to talk just briefly about that. You have to understand that when, when Joseph names Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, it's not God with us and not with them. That's not what Emmanuel means. It means there is no them. It means that God is with us. There is no them. And a lot of times you hear people talk about, well, God is with us, as sort of a, a, a line in the sand saying that if you're here, then you're with God. But if you're over there, then you're not with God. But that's not what the Gospels teach. The Gospels teach that God is with all of us. Um, and it also doesn't mean that God is on my side. That's another thing that, that we've heard over and over and over again. God is on my side. For thousands of years, Military leaders and kings and princes have been saying, God is on our side. And, and you, they'll send their troops into battle, encouraging their troops, God is with us, into battle against another army whose soldiers are being told that God is with them. And it's the same scam that's been going on for thousands of years. God is with us does not mean that God is on our side. There are no sides. That's the point. God is with all of us. In fact, the Germans, um, the Nazis when they did the most ungodly acts that have happened in hundreds of years, what they found on the Nazis' soldiers' belt buckles was the phrase, Gott mit uns, which is, God is with us. Uh, And clearly, that's bad theology. God was not with them. Uh, But people do that. You know, people will try to leverage God into whatever agenda that they have. And it's been, it happens in religions too. You see different religious organizations who will try to encourage people to basically shelter their, their community against the world and against others, saying that God is with us and not with them. And really, all of these behaviors are, are fueled by what Greg talked about over the last couple of weeks, this fear of death, this idea that, that I'm going to die and I need to protect my life, or I have to protect whatever my family or, or whatever precious thing I'm trying to protect. And that fear of death fuels us to kind of warp how we interpret things. I mean, if you're really afraid of death, well, then what you're going to crave is power because the fear of death is a feeling of powerlessness. And so, so many times you see religions boast about how powerful God is going to be if you believe the right things. And, and military leaders will talk about how powerful God is going to be because their cause is just. And the reason why they're bombing kids in the other country is so good that God's going to empower us to go bomb those kids. I don't know how they make that work, but those are the claims that are made. Um, but, see, the God that's revealed in the Gospels it's not that type of, it's not this power God. It's not this God who's driven by kill or be killed. It, it, it's a God who sees that for the, the delusion that it is. Uh, religions a lot of times have these really grandiose expectations how God is going to be and how God ought to be and how he ought to behave. And what's so fun about the Gospels is over and over and over again, the Gospels record Jesus doing things that are totally unexpected and totally not what you would think a God would be like. Uh, This God that the Gospels reveal is the opposite of what this fear of death kind of 
reality would, would expect. And so you find all sorts of examples of this, but the fact that God, when he becomes a person, he's born to these country bumpkins, basically. He's not born to these dignitaries. He's born to these country bumpkins. He's welcomed into the world by these sort of New Age magicians, not by the Jewish megachurch pastors or the Jewish religious elite. He's, these weird, you know, magi are the ones who, who greet him. Uh, Jesus is born in a barn, not in a palace. He's born into poverty, not into wealth. Uh, he's born into oppression, not into power. Uh, he's born under a cloud of scandal. Uh, I mean, really, a virgin birth? Are you serious? That's what people were thinking. What did Mary really do? We're not buying this virgin birth story. But that's the scandal that Jesus was born into. Um, he was not born under holy respectability. He was born under shady circumstances. And even when Jesus gets older, we find him surrounding himself with sinners, not with uh, the Pharisees and the religious good boys and good girls. He's hanging out with the troubled folk. Uh, he's hanging out at the back of the bus probably when he's in junior high. You know, that's where I was anyway. <laughs> and we did all sorts of, you know, shenanigans. So, uh, And he told us to love our enemies, not to kill our enemies. Well, how are we ever going to succeed in the world if we love our enemies? They're going to take what we want. That seems so absurd in this world when we're afraid of death and when we're afraid of losing what we think is precious. The last thing we can do is let our enemies take it, but that's what Jesus teaches. That's not what you would expect a religion to create for God, a God who basically says, yeah, sure, go ahead, take it. That's so unexpected. Um, Jesus shows us a God who prioritizes people over everything else, over the person's beliefs, over the person's race, over the person's gender, over everything. What matters is the relationship with the person. I mean, heck, he even spent most of his ministry with Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. And even on the night that Judas betrayed him, he still shared a meal with him. What matters to Jesus is the person, not anything else. And that's so unexpected because so many times religions are like, well, if you want to be part of this group, if you want to be a real Christian, you have to believe this, believe that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. And uh, if you sin, you're putting your faith in jeopardy, and God's going to reject you. And there's so many rules like that. And when you look at Jesus, all he cared about was the person. And, and the sin is important, and Jesus doesn't want you to sin, and he tells the woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more. So the sin is important. But he doesn't let the sin get in the way of the relationship. He doesn't, let the, he doesn't cast people off because they're sinners. Uh, he, he accepts people as they are, and, and that's really the only way to get people to grow past their sin. You can't get people to grow out of their sin by chastising and judging them for their sin. It just doesn't work. And, and God knows that. And so you find this kind of decoder ring. You're going to get, you're gonna get uh, a lot of organizations uh, and, and military forces and kings and political leaders who will have a view of God which is more got mit uns than it is Emmanuel, right? And, and so much of the God is on our side, that's the, the got mit uns God. That's not the Emmanuel God that we read about in the Gospels. And, and so this is sort of a decoder ring. If you're trying to sell me a picture of God that is going to support your violent agenda uh, uh, or your uh, agenda of abuse, that's probably not Emmanuel. That's got mit uns. That's something else. If, if you're encouraging me to surround myself with like-minded people and surround myself with people who share my beliefs uh, to the exclusion of others, 
<laughs> that's not Emmanuel. That's Gott mit uns. Jesus surrounded himself with all sorts of people who were shady and, and um, not trusted in society. And he calls us to do the same thing. Um, if, if your religion or if your group or if your leader is encouraging you to neglect the oppressed... Uh, or the disadvantage, or to not be concerned about people who are toiling under oppression. That's not Emmanuel. That's Gott mit uns. Um, and likewise, some people have a hard time with that. But some people have a hard time with the opposite, which is if, if your leader is encouraging you to not care about the oppressor, that's not Emmanuel. That's Gott mit uns. God cares about the oppressed and the oppressor. He orients himself and he dwells with the oppressed, but he still cares about the oppressor. He, it's not about um, destroying, because he's not about destroying anybody. It's about loving everybody and helping people because being an oppressor, that's a complicated set of sin and that's something that God wants us to grow out of as well. Uh, basically, <laughs> Emmanuel is God with us and really with us. God is with us and and. And we are all loved with an unsurpassable love. And if we're all loved with an unsurpassable love, that means that he doesn't love anybody more than anybody else. Because if he loves me with an unsurpassable love, and he loves you with an unsurpassable love, that means he can't love Margot with more love. Because then his love for us would have been surpassable. God loves us each with this unsurpassable love. We are all equal in God's sight. Uh, which means that we can know that it's Emmanuel if there's no judgment involved, when there's love involved, and when people are not afraid to be around. That must be Emmanuel. That's not Gott mit uns. This God, this Emmanuel, uh, it, it totally reorients how we look at life. Um, with this God, you are not alone. God really knows all of the bad stuff that you're ashamed of, he knows all that stuff, and yet God loves you even at that point. He wants great things for you, but Romans 5, 8 says that he loved us when we were at our absolute worst, our most despicable, we wish we were never born worst, like why did I do that kind of worst. He loved us then, and, and, and so we don't have to be worried about God rejecting us because of our sin. He loved us when we were far worse than we are now, and he will love us uh, from now on with that same unsurpassable love. He understands your pain. He knows the toil of being a person and temptation and the struggle of, of trying to be a good person in a world that's so not very good. <laughs> trying to be a godly person in a world that's so ungodly. He understands that. He has experienced that firsthand. Uh, God is with you, which means that he has witnessed the injustices that you have endured. And he has witnessed the abuse that you have endured. And he's witnessed all the unfair advantages that you've had to endure. And Maybe you were born with, um, with a competitive disadvantage, or maybe you were born with an abusive parent, or maybe you were born with an alcoholic parent. I don't know. God sees all of that, and he understands that, and it's so good to have a witness. God loves you beyond all. Uh, he paid the ultimate price. He paid what, more than he could philosophically pay because he loves you so much. He couldn't have philosophically paid more than what he paid, which means that you don't have to earn God's love. Now, which is weird because we live in a world where we have to earn people's respect. And in our world, you've probably heard this phrase, you have to add value. <laughs> you have to add value in this world. Are you adding value? Boy, that guy's really adding value. Have you ever heard that? That's the, that's the yoke that we live on in this world. We always have to add value. In the kingdom of God, you don't always have to be adding value like that. You don't have to be hustling all the time. 
because you have this infinite, unsurpassable value already. And you can just dwell in that. And you can just live out of that. That's what Emmanuel means. That's when God becomes a baby to dwell with us. That's what it means. This infinite God cares for us so much that he even wanted to be one of us for as long as we would let him. It also means that, now maybe you have a great family. You know, maybe your family is fantastic. I hope it is. I hope you have a Norman Rockwell family. (laughs) You know? Uh, But maybe you don't. Maybe you have... um, a Barnum and Bailey family, <laughs> not a Norman Rockwell family. Uh, what, what Emmanuel means is that your family is much greater than your biological family. Jesus says to his disciples that you are all brothers and sisters. Uh, God with us means that, boy, you are adopted into a really big and wonderful family that transcends your biological family. It means that you don't have to let the fear of death and limitation push you around at gunpoint all the time. You can think outside of the fear of death and limitation. You can grow in discipleship out of that fear and that anxiety. It means that you can lighten up about politics. <laughs> Please. You, you don't have to put all of your hope in a political candidate or a political party or even politics in general. My guess is it's always going to suck, you know? <laughs> It's always going to suck it, but we can put our hope in something that is ultimately going to win in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel means that you don't have to pretend that you're tougher than you are. You don't have to pretend like you're tougher than you are because real power, the gospel shows us, comes out of vulnerability, not out of toughness. It's in self-sacrificial love that we show a real power that transcends the temporary meaningless power of the world. Uh, It means that, and this is my favorite one, you don't have to pretend like you're having more fun at Christmas than you really are, you know? You don't have to fake Christmas joy because there's a lot of people who, you know, to be honest, they probably can't wait till Christmas is over, you know, because it's a toil. You have to pretend like you're happy and you have to do so much work and and it it seems kind of pointless to a lot of people. But Emmanuel means that it's not pointless. There is a real justification for genuine joy. And if you can unplug from some of the social expectations, and if you can unplug from some of the capitalist and consumer expectations, and if you can plug into the fact that God is one of us, and if you can dwell in that joy, then you can have an authentic joy that you don't have to pretend. Listen, if you think that the gospel story and the Bible story and this idea that God became a baby, if you think the point of all that is only that God is going to pay for your sins, you have not even begun to hear the whole story. I mean, you've barely even finished watching the trailer for this movie, all right? There is so much that, ha- that hangs on this incredible event of God becoming a baby. First of all, it means that if you ever feel, if you get this sense that, you know, I, I just feel like life is meaningless and pointless. Ultimately, what's the point of it all? If you get that sense, there's a reason for that. Because if there's no God, that, that intuition that you have is correct. If all that there is is matter, well then it is ultimately meaningless. As Greg quotes um, uh, Sartre saying, a finite point without an infinite reference point is essentially meaningless. If there is no God, if there's only this finite contained universe of matter, there is no ultimate meaning. But the fact that 
we have Jesus as a baby and God becoming a person, it's this big indicator light that matter is not all that there is. There's something greater than matter. There is this an infinite reference point. And the infinite reference point becomes a finite person in this stable. This little baby is this epic event in this little babbling baby. And what it is, is, is there's something older than matter and that something is this perfect love. Perfect love is older than the universe. And that perfect love through Jesus, through this baby, is calling us into community with that perfect love. There is an infinite reference point. You know, we were born in the middle of this cosmic warfare. And God becoming a baby is really God's perfect counterattack against uh, the enemy. And, and <laughs> so there's a lot at stake with this. Uh, this is from Matthew twelve thirty one. And I don't know if they're going to get it up in time. But it basically says that God has come now to judge and to push out the enemy. And in Jesus, God is calling us to join in that push. We have this, not only do we have ultimate meaning, we also have this purpose that we can participate in pushing out the enemy. And really, that means that we live as if God is really with us. And and if you think about it, most sin involves assuming that God is not with us. Pretending that God is not there. When we sin, that's what we do, is we pretend God doesn't know about this. This is my little private thing that I'm doing. And, and so hate, lust. I mean, if God is right there, would you really be lusting after whatever? No. You wouldn't be hating someone. You wouldn't be insulting people. You wouldn't be intolerant. You wouldn't be greedy. You wouldn't be always needing to be right. You wouldn't be full of self-pity. You wouldn't be violent. You wouldn't be vain. You wouldn't be arrogant. All of these things are the things that we do when we assume that God is not there and they all ultimately fail because they all assume an unreality. They assume that God is not there. But Jesus in the manger shows us that God really is there. And so you've been lying to yourself and you've been doing these things and of course it's going to end up in chaos and futility and arbitrariness because it's based on a lie that God is not with you. And the gospel shows us that God is with you. That's why we celebrate baby Jesus is because God is with us. And, and, and if that meaninglessness too because we're not meant to live in sinful ways. We're not meant to live greedy and lustful and violent. And so there can't be any meaning there. If we're not meant to do it, then it's impossible to find meaning there. We're not meant to be violent. You can't have meaning in violence because we're not meant for that. And so if you feel like your life is futile... And if you feel depressed, and that's how it plays out, it comes out as depression and anxiety and um, dissatisfaction, if you feel those things, it's possible that you have been tapping into this lie that God is not with you. And so what I encourage you to do, I encourage you this Christmas season to start to think about God's presence and start to live into the reality that God is with you. Um, Basically, calling the baby Jesus Emmanuel is an invitation for us, for each of us, to go back into God's presence. Uh, Because Jesus in the manger and his life and his death and his resurrection, it's basically this first domino of perfect love that God uses as his primary counterattack against evil. And all the evil and suffering that we experience that makes God feel like he's not there, baby Jesus in the manger is that first domino of perfect love. And that domino falls and it's building momentum and it's gaining power and we're invited into that and to grow that with it because ultimately that perfect love is going to win because sin, sin is not sustainable and perfect love will ultimately win. Um, 
as I close, I want to ask the music team to come forward. And I just want to invite you this one last challenge, I guess. We're coming up on the new year, and, um, and, and this place was packed. I mean, it's packed now. It was packed at the 2 o'clock service. And um, it should be packed all year long because God is with us, and it's not easy. And there's a lot of challenges that we face as we learn to grow into the reality of God's presence. And so what I challenge you to do is I challenge you to think about what does it mean that God is present in my life and how do I live that out more? How do I live against the evil and the suffering that I experience and the meaninglessness and the futility that I experience? How do I live out of the, the infinite worth that I already have? These are things that we talk about here at Woodland Hills all year long and there's a lot of opportunity for you and I encourage you to come back and try that. Uh, God wants you to be part of this movement that he has going in the world. But he's not going to force you and he's not going to coerce you. You have to decide to push your chips in. You have to do it. He's not going to do that for you. He's there waiting for you and he's going to catch you and he's going to help you this movement that he has going in the world. But he's not going to force you and he's not going to coerce you. You have to decide to push your chips in. You have to do it. He's not going to do that for you. He's there waiting for you, and he's going to catch you, and he's going to help you, but you have to decide to push those chips in. Uh, and, and I believe that if you do that, if you decide to push your chips in and to live into that presence, I believe that that's a bet that will pay off profoundly. It's a bet that will pay off in your heart, in your soul, and